It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. Excuse me, it's 608 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. A little late getting to the microphone this morning. All right, I wasn't paying attention. It is 608 at News Talk WSB. This is Lawn and Garden. I am Walter Reeves. I am the Georgia Gardener. I am here to help you be more successful. Two words, more successful. You define more successful any way you want to. One more flower, one less weed, one less 30-minute period of water in your lawn, one less tour that you have to do. If you have any questions about how to do it right, how to get your garden looking the best it possibly can, call me. 404-872-0750. 404-872-0750. Get your question in early and go back to bed. Of course, there are a lot of listeners right now who can't go back to bed because they're out there driving around 285. I met two of them last week at the uh, remote broadcast. Two people who say, well, we're always driving this time. We decided to drop in at the, at the uh, home show last weekend. And so it was nice to meet them. And then it was just like I suspected. There were two shift workers who drive together. And they were coming home from work. And they dropped in around 6.15, something like that. Normally they'd be going home. And so they dropped in to see how we're doing and watch the garden show for a minute and go on home go to bed. If you have a question about anything that has to do with what's sprouting right now, that would be interesting, too. And because I just saw the picture yesterday, if you saw a pine tree right now with orange spores, orange powder pouring out of the side of a pine tree, what is it? You've seen that before? You go look at some of the pine trees in your backyard. If you have a pine tree, look up and down the trunk of the tree and see if there's any orange almost liquid spores coming down and cascading down the side of the tree. The name of the condition in the fungus is called fusiform rust. Fusiform means um, spindle-shaped because when you have a gall on a limb, it'll make the gall on the limb itself look like a sort of a spindle, soil in the middle, thin on the ends. And the fusiform rust, when it's on the trunk of a tree, causes a canker there. And the canker can grow and grow, and eventually you'll see this large malformation of the trunk of the tree. And generally speaking, that's the weakest part of the trunk. That's where the tree will snap off if there's a big windstorm. And so if you have a tree near your house that has fusiform rust in it, has a big canker in the trunk of the tree, that's the one that's on the list that should come away. If it is anywhere close to your house, anywhere close to your garage, anywhere close to something valuable in your property, then those fusiform rust-affected pine trees would be the ones that have to has to be gotten after it. Get out of there. I took two down two, two three years ago now. Took two of them three years ago, and I feel much safer. They were within reach, easily a good reach of my garage in the front of my house. And down they went because I just thought, this is too much of a liability. I don't want these trees looking at me and me looking at them during a windstorm thinking, oh, I hope that tree holds up. Oh, I hope it doesn't fall down in my garage. That's what I was hoping. If you have a question about Easter lilies, this being the Easter weekend, I have a lot of answers about that. And before anybody asks, I'll go ahead click my button here. I'll go ahead and say that Easter is a time of having Easter lilies, and these have all been forced to bloom at this time of year. That's normal 
horticultural practices to get things to bloom at different times of the year where they don't really supposed to, including poinsettias, you know, for Christmas and some things like that. So there's tulips for the holidays as well. But one of the things that I think is really interesting about Easter lilies is you can plant them in your landscape and they will bloom for you for year after year after year if you plant them in the right spot. The right spot is where it is semi-shady, not full sun, not full shade, but bright shade might be a better way to describe it. Bright shade is the best place to put an Easter lily because if you put them out where they're in full sun, they really are not adapted to real heat during the summertime. If you have a lot of 90-degree days on the Easter lily leaves, they are not going to be happy with that. But if you give them a place where it's semi-shade, where you get some sunshine in the morning, fine, from sunrise up to 10, 11, 12 o'clock, something like that, that's fine. Easter lily loves that. And they'll bloom usually in June. That's the time that the Easter lily normally blooms. And I have one, two, three, four, I guess, clumps of Easter lilies in my backyard that I got from taking Easter lilies from others who brought them back from church or something like that. After the Easter service, you may have the same thing at your church where they give you the lilies that are on display, or you may have purchased a lily in memory of somebody and had it displayed at the church for the Easter service. So there's no reason to throw those away. They're not like... Um, tulips or, or, or paper white narcissus that you pretty much have to throw away. They're not going to be any good for you after you have had them in the church or had them in your home. But if you have an Easter lily that you don't want to get rid of, don't. Plant it outside. Semi-sun, a little bit of bulb fertilizer in there to get it started. Let the foliage yellow off. It'll die off in the July, usually, when it gets pretty hot. And then next year, the foliage will come up in early, early April. Mine's already up three, four, five inches, I guess, now. And that clump has expanded from the one that I put in two or three years ago. It's easily a foot across, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six probably different plants in there, each one of which will have a stem, and each stem will have three or four flowers on it. So I have a multiplying Easter lily, and it's easy to have in your landscape. Save the ones you have for Easter. It's a bunch of fun to have them. Let's go to the phones. We've got phones, on the, we got phones on the line. We've got people on the line thinking about their phone. Our first call from Griffin, Georgia, and Ms. Nicole. Nicole, good morning. Mr. Reeves. How you doing, Nicole? Fine, fine. Good. If you see the Asian, Asiatic lily, the yeah. pink one, yep. if you bring them inside the house, you have to close the door. Why? Oh, this smells so strong. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> yeah. And I have some in, the, in my landscape that start purple, the least, the least start purple, and they turn uh, green after that. And they smell, they're really fragrant. You're right, they're really fragrant fragrant flowers. Big time, you Big have time. to close the door. You know something else I, I forgot to mention maybe is when you bring one of these lilies inside, it's a good idea to take a little pair of, of, of fingernail scissors and go in and cut out the yellow stamens in the middle because they always get on things. They get on your cat's nose, they get on your clothes when you brush against them, and that pollen that's on those stamens is really hard to launder out of your clothes. So clipping it off before you bring it in is a good idea. Yes, it's everywhere, this yellow thing. And even yeah. on counter, it's hard to get out of the yeah, counter. Yeah, the pine pollens on everything around my house. I've written my name, of course, on the back of my car with pine pollen because it's you know, just covering the back of the car. Um, Mr. Reeve, mm -hmm. uh, I knew uh, a, a person a long time ago. He died about 15 years. He was 96 when he died. Mm -hmm. He was a uh, radio operator on the ship boat. Okay. Long time ago, and uh, he uh, he gave me two um, 
pomegranate, uh, Japanese maple. Uh-huh. One is bright red and one is bright red because uh-huh. that put them different places. Yeah. He said when he was young, listen to that, that his father, he was probably uh, eight or nine years old, his father always tell him, go get the snake and <laughs> put it in the grain. Get a snake put it and in put the it in the grain? Because the snake was eating the rats. And he said, wow, he said, I didn't like it, but he said, we didn't have no choice. Whatever you tell us, we had to do it. But I was thinking, you still have, first you have to catch the snake <laughs> and put it in the, and then sometimes you said, uh, you have to take the snake back to another place. <laughs> and he said, I hate it. And, you know, he was almost 100 years old, and he said, that was my worst thing. I was thinking, who would do that now? Not me. <laughs> I saw a snake the other day, a little bitty brown snake, a little garden snake, and I thought to myself, you're, you're harmless. Those brown snakes, of course, are very harmless. But still, it's a little startling to see a snake right where you're about to put your, put your trowel in the ground. And you think, whoa, where'd you come from? <laughs> a little snake. They sleep in the pampas grass, isn't it? I don't know if they sleep in there, but pampas grass is a good, tight environment that snakes can get into and not be bothered by things that eat snakes. So I'm sure they found that environment pretty nice for them. So pomegranate grass, I know some people say, it attracts snakes. Don't grow pomegranate grass. Snakes live in there. Uh, maybe, but only because it's a good habitat, not because it attracts them. Well, that makes a nice place, and then they can uh, go ag- against the the grass. You know, I know one year I, I caught mine, and there was a, a, a female that got a bunch of babies, and mm. let her go, you know, let her sleep and have a nice lady. And she was in your pompous grass? Yes, she was wow. sleeping in the pompous grass. Well, she had all those baby curls curl around her. And you know, one of the things about pompous grass, though, is you have to cut it down every year. So I wonder if the snakes have any danger from people cutting down the pompous grass, which you do, you know, January, February each year before it sprouts back out again. And so I wonder if the snakes have ever been, you know, discovered because of people cutting their grass back. Yeah, or, you know, it's warm there and it's soft, and uh-huh. the baby can, like, you know, hide on the knee. Yeah, and little baby snakes are certainly great food for predator creatures, whether it be dogs, cats, hawks, you know, owls, things like that. They'll eat a baby snake in a heartbeat. I know this time they owe my cat outside, they sleep outside, and yeah. they have, they find two, three places when those little bitty rats. And they came back with a rat and tie. Those are baby rats. They probably had a uh, 10 or 15 because oh. every day they come back with little baby rats. Wow. Yes. Where do you think the baby rats were, were living? Where is it? On the neat, um, I have a, a pile of moss and dead wood, and I should burn it, but I'm not going to burn it. And uh, I see the cat watching because the little uh-huh. movement and the, the ears are really. Uh, sensitive oh, yeah. and stay there and watch and wait, wait on two, three days, just wait until the mother goes somewhere, I think. I think that's really fascinating sometimes to watch a cat when they know something is in there that they want, their little ears twitch, the whole body will be completely still and the cat's ears little twitch back and forth to try to find what they're looking for. And when they come, when you're not home, they come back with something, they're really disappointed. They put in the front of the door. Yeah. <gasps> and you're supposed to say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this little rat or mole or mouse or whatever you got. 
Well, I got to go. I'm looking at the clock right now, and I got to go, Nicole. It's wonderful talking to you again. I hope to see you next Saturday. How about that? Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We'll see you then at 618. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today's sunshine, high to 70 degrees, low tonight in the mid-40s. Overnight, lots more sunshine, sun clouds actually tomorrow. I think the high will be somewhere in the mid-70s tomorrow, low overnight in the 50s. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Alice come, comes to us from Zebulon, Georgia, and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Alice, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm all right. How can I help you, Alice or Dallas? Either way, <laughs> how can I help Alice? Alice from Dallas, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I planted two peach trees, two apple trees, and two pear trees. Okay. I, I planted them at the end of February. Okay. They're doing really good. good. However, I was talking to my brother, and he told me that on my peach trees, that I have to be careful because there'd be some kind of fungi that would grow on them if I don't. Mm-hmm take care of it or put something on it to prevent it. That is a smart guy. Wow. He's yes, been listening he to the radio show. <laughs> Look at him. That's correct. Have they, are they blooming now or have they already finished blooming? No. The uh, Now, the pear trees are, are blooming really good, good, but the peach trees, I have maybe maybe three or four blooms on each one, but they are starting to bloom. You are perfectly positioned. You're perfectly right right now. There's one disease that just breaks the heart of a gardener trying to grow peaches, and that disease is called brown rot. And brown rot starts when the peaches, peaches, peach tree flowers are open, when the peaches are blooming. And it, if the flower gets infected by something flying around and they land on the ground where the, some of this rot fungi lives and get it up into the flower, then it just develops inside the flower and then inside the fruit until about the day before you go out and harvest your peaches. And you think, boy, that looks like a good one right there. And you pull it off the tree and look at the bottom and this big brown icky looking place and the whole inside of the peach is rotten because the rot started back when the blossoms were on the flower and then continued as the peach developed and then doesn't show itself until it right when it turns sweet. So the way to prevent that happening is to get a fungicide. And the one that I see most often is Daconil, D-A-C-O-N-I-L, Daconil. Another one is Captan, C-A-P-T-A-N, Captan. So Daconil or, or, uh, or Captan fungicide spread now when the blooms are just opening. And then when most of the blooms have opened and a few started to fall off, one more spray. And those two sprays will protect the flowers from being infected with brown rot. And so you, Alice, will have some peaches in June without the rot inside. That's exactly what to do. And I'm glad you had somebody to advise you with the right advice. It's 628 at News Talk WSB. Back to more Lawn and Garden after news. 
It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 35 on a Saturday morning, 44 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, making you more successful by asking questions. Who do you ask? Me. You call first at 404-872-0750 number. You talk to Ashley for just a minute. Ashley Frasca finds out what you want to ask. She puts it on the screen. I see it in the other production room, and here we are to talk with Daryl about azaleas. Hey, Daryl. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm well, my friend. How can I help? I'm, I'm a new gardener. Yeah. I've had much success, a lot of it because of you. But I have a beautiful azalea bush right. outside of my guest bedroom in the backyard. It is, it's become huge. I've never trimmed an azalea bush. I've trimmed roses ah. and hydrangeas, but I've never trimmed an azalea. Okay. And I'd like to propagate this. this is a, it's not a native of uh, Georgia. Okay. It's a beautiful plant. It looks almost tropical. Beautiful pink flowers with deep, dark pink to purple dots on the inside of the flower. Right. Nice. And I'd like to have this remain in this spot but not be so big. And I'd like to also propagate it in other parts of the yard. And I've, I've never done that before. Not hard. Not hard at all. Let's see. I'll give you We've got time. I'll, talk, I'll give you two ways, all right, Daryl, two ways to propagate azaleas, both of which, to me, have about the same rate of success. So you choose one or choose both of them if you want to. Right now is not the right time to take cuttings and try to root them because the cuttings that do best, it seems to me, are the ones that have grown in the spring of one year and are harvested and clipped off the plant in usually mid-June when they've hardened off just a little bit but not real green and flexible like they are right now. And so we'll wait till mid-June to do the cutting propagation. But at that time, it's simple, simple to do. You make cuttings that have a tuft of leaves, four or five maybe leaves at the end of a, a little stem. The stem itself only about six inches long. And you can make, oh, 30 of those in, you know, 10 minutes. Just go in your, in your, in your shrub and cutting, 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 cutting. And strip off any low leaves that are on that cutting until, again, you have just that little tuft of five or six leaves at the end of it. And with all those cuttings, then go find a, I think, a Tupperware shoebox where it's really, really well. Get a Tupperware shoebox, plastic shoebox, you know, about 12 inches by 12 inches, mm-hmm. and um, fill it halfway with potting soil. Or there are propagation soils. If you look around, you'll see at nurseries that have propagation soil or seed starting soil. Get that. And fill it halfway up. And then each one of your cuttings, you'll also, as a nursery, look for some rooting hormone. Rooting hormone is a powder. And you shift out, sift out a little bit of that onto a piece of paper onto the tabletop and dip the end of each cutting in the rooting powder and stick it into the potting soil that's in your, in your plastic box. And again, because you've got little bitty cuttings, only six inches tall, you can stick one, two, three, four, five, you can 20 easily, 20 in the, in the box. Oh, wow. And uh, as long as the soil is moist, it needs to be moist enough that it's, when you squeeze it in your hand, the soil doesn't exude any more water when you squeeze it, but it should not be dry. So make sure it's moistened before you do anything with it in the box. But nonetheless, you uh, put the cuttings in, firm firm the soil around the stem just a little bit with your fingers, mash the soil around the cutting, 
and then cover the whole thing with saran wrap. Just get some clear plastic kitchen wrap, cover the box, the top of the box with saran wrap, and put it in a nice, warm, sunny window. Inside the house, the heat of the sun is not enough to get really hot inside the box. You won't cook the cook. You'll cook the cuttings inside the box. But if you have a nice sunny window, then the leaves that are on top of the tufts, they've got hormones in there, and they'll immediately sense that, hey, where are our roots? Daryl cut off the bottom of the shrub, of the of the cutting. There are no roots attached here. The buds on the tips of the each of the cuttings you, you've made will send signals down to the cut part to say, hey, I want you to harden off a little bit more. I want you to take that hormone and move it to the right places where it should be. And I want some more roots stat. They want roots wow. because they got to yeah. have moisture to keep the leaves you know, looking good. And the rooting process will take, oh, Daryl, probably six weeks about is about what it'll take. You should check your thing just about every day just to look and make sure there's a little haze of condensation inside the plastic. If there's not, it's gotten dry inside. You need to open it up and squirt some more water in there to moisten the potting soil. But again, after about six weeks in a sunny window, you should be able to open it up and tug real gently on one of the cuttings. And lo and behold, it's got four or five little white roots coming out of the bottom of the cutting. And each one of those then can be transformed into a little four-inch pot with regular potting soil in it. You have a whole group of them that you can put outside under the shade of a little dogwood or some the umbrella on your patio like I do or just someplace that's not direct sun outdoors. And they will harden off there. They'll grow more leaves, grow more roots. So harden off inside a little four-inch container. And that then you can actually plant by the fall when it's still a little bit warm in the fall in September, early October. You can plant those little cuttings, and they will grow into an exact clone of the azalea they were taken from. Very good. Not now you, that, That's one method you that's mentioned, one, too. But there are two. The two. The other one is called air layering because it's done without making a cutting, taking a cutting off of the shrub. Air layering is done by finding a limb, again, about a quarter inch in diameter. This is a little bit bigger in this case, a quarter inch in diameter to a half an inch in diameter, and taking a really dull knife and scraping the outer layer of bark, the brown part of the bark, away, revealing the green underneath. Not hard to do, just scrape, 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 all the way around the limb. And uh, when you see that, that greenery, the uh, cambium layer exposed, you dust the rooting powder. Remember I said you get that rooting powder called rutone is one of the common ones we see at nurseries. So dust some of the rutone on that wound and then get a big sopping handful of long fibered sphagnum moss. And this comes in a little bag, costs two or three dollars. And it's long fibered sphagnum moss, so if you soak it for a while, it gets really, really sopping, soaky wet. And so you take a big fistful of that, wrap it around the wound. And then around that, put some saran wrap. Sometimes it helps to have a buddy to help you do this because, you know, holding things together and wrapping at the same time is hard without three hands. So you wrap the wounded, rutoned area with uh, the wet sphagnum moss, plastic around that to keep it nice and wet inside. And then around that, some aluminum foil. Just crimp the aluminum foil around so it stays dark inside there. Okay. And the roots, again, the tip, tip of that branch is going to say, hey, where are the roots? We don't have a connection anymore because you scraped away the connection when you use your dull knife on the stem. And uh, the uh, roots will form there where the callus, where the wound was made, inside that little, what do you call it, a, a fistful of sphagnum moss. And again, about six or eight weeks later, you'll have roots all through it. You can take the aluminum foil off and look inside briefly. You'll see little white roots all inside that that plastic wrap that you wrapped up the sphagnum moss with. It's really wonderful to see those roots there. You think, wow, I've got a great, good-looking azalea plant here. 
when it's time to plant, which is again in early October this year, cut off the uh, the cutting from the mother plant and take the aluminum foil and everything off of it. And the sphagnum, I guess, is going to be sort of re root filled, so you don't want to take the sphagnum off because it'll hurt some of the roots. And just plant it just like you did the others. You'll have a nice, wow. big, healthy, healthy cutting. Air layering is what that is what that's called. Air layering. Yeah, air. So layering. actually, to increase the chances and, and, and improve my success, I could use both. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Easy to do. Well, I'm going to call you and let you know and send you some pictures. Uh, about June, well, let's see, we'll do the cuttings in June, and we're going to, and the air layer is probably best done then, too. So June, July, August, sometime in late August is when you'll call me back, Daryl, and say, hey, look at here, I got 20 or 30 or 40 new azalea plants to put in my landscape, I did it all your way. Sure. Thank you very much, Walter. It's great talking to you, Daryl. Thanks for calling. Have a happy Easter. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Wrong number for 404 is the number on Lawn and Garden. Mike is in Cumming, Georgia, and joins us. Hey, Mike, good morning. Hey, uh, good morning, Walter. What's up? Um, I used to have a nice centipede yard, but the last couple of years, I get these little, they look like small ant mounds yeah. all over the yard. Yeah. And I've got moles, a whole family, and letting my dog get them is not the right way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it just keeps. He, over the winter, it'll eat the roots, and the centipede's gone, and yeah. I try to get it back by putting you know, grub killer down, but I'm really not sure what the bug is. I imagine it is a ground bee. If you look at your little mound and you see a quarter-inch size, pencil-sized hole in the top of it, it is certainly a ground bee. And there's okay. just, just, oh, there's two or three species, but there's one in particular species that loves to grow in lawns, and when it grows in mine every year, I'm sort of happy because they're also good pollinators. And so they go and pollinate apple trees and blueberries and things in the neighborhood that need pollen to be moved around. And so I don't do anything about mine because I know that they'll disappear in a couple, three weeks after they appear. It'll all go away or the rain will wash them away in this in the story. They build little, little uh, cocoons underground, the female uh -huh. does anyway. And she provisions that cocoon with the pollen that she gathers from the trees that she visits as she's alive and flying around. And then that cocoon is sealed up and she dies and everything sort of washes down and the cocoon stays there until the next spring when early spring opens back up again and she's out, or he's out, uh, guarding the, the opening and she's out gathering pollen and laying eggs. So it's a, a natural phenomenon, but if there's a lot of them, it's sort of a pain to go out and see them all in your lawn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it's definitely a whole colony, you know, yeah. throughout my yard. Yeah. So well, maybe that answers why my blueberries do so good every year. Hey, that's maybe why your blueberries do so good every year. <laughs> Just you tolerating those those bees, Mike. Yeah. If you really feel like there's one area that's right by the door, you think, man, I wish there weren't so many right here by the front door. Just use a water hose. Go ahead, just wash them down prematurely. Wash the well, clay down. I mean, it's wiped out the whole yard. I mean, it's grass is gone and you know then there's one section of centipede that seems stay strong and is oblivious to them and yeah. you know it thrives but the rest of the yard just you know it, it just doesn't generally speaking it's the areas of the yard where the grass is thin already they like places where they get exposure to the sunshine where the opening is, is exposed to sunshine and so yeah. if you have a really thick dense grass cover it's not generally a good place for the bees to live because they don't like to be covered up like that. They want an open area that they can get into. So managing the centipede so it is higher grass. When you mow it in the fall, mow it so it's about an inch, two inches, maybe high. 
and that discourages the bees from making the mounds there, and they go somewhere else. It's not as so covered. Okay. All right, so maybe putting sod down on top of them uh, might help. Well, they're going to be buried a little bit deeper, but it's not going to kill many of them. They can they can bore through the sod pretty easily. Okay. The tilling that you do, and of course, every time I talk about sod, I always mention tilling first. You know, digging the soil, softening it up before you lay the sod. Right. So these cocoons are only four, maybe inches deep in the ground. So if you do tilling like you should, frankly, you're going to disturb all the mounds, and you won't have many bees there anymore because you till the ground and disturb the cocoons and. End okay. of story for them. But if you lay the side and have a real nice uh, centipede grass, so it looks real good and thick, and leave it a little bit high in the fall when you mow last time, I think then you have many, many less chances of having bees. And the few that do come back may just be in the corners where it's not quite growing so fast, growing so uh, strongly there. So, again, manage the centipede grass well. The bees pretty much disappear after that. It's 648. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. A quick weather update brought to you by Aquin Security. Today, the high near 70 degrees, low overnight in the 40s. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, high 75. Tomorrow, low in the mid-50s overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Wendy in Atlanta joins us. Hey, Wendy, good morning. Hi. Hi. Um, I have been trying to grow vegetables from seeds for the last several years. Um with a really low rate of success. <laughs> All right. And I'm wondering if you can help me. Um, I get them to they're about about two inches, mm-hmm. and they seem to do fine at about till about two inches. And then I can't get them to get bigger. Hmm. And how do you fertilize them once they've come up out of the ground? How do you fertilize after that? Um, so I'm growing them in little in the little um, cell. Uh, sheets that you get at like Home Depot. Got it. Got it. And um and I've also tried the um biodome from um another seed company with the water and I it's the same it's the same rate of success with both. But, um but still fertilizer or do you Yeah, do you I've just been using the 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 blue fertilizer that I but, dilute in water. Yeah, okay, that should work. And Generally, I don't fertilize when I first plant the seeds in the little starter pack thing kits, what do you call them? Yeah. And then when you get the first true leaves, and the true leaves are not the round leaves that come up immediately out of the seed, but the leaves that look like the regular plant leaves. The squash, you have a characteristic shape to the squash leaves. Mm-hmm. The tomato, you have the little lobes on the leaves of the tomato. So once the first true leaves have emerged, that's when they get another application of fertilizer. And almost always I use a half-strength of the miracle Grow, the blue stuff. Uh, Half-strength application once every two weeks, probably. Okay. How much sunshine do they get, too, Wendy? Well, I've got them under lights, under under, uh, fluorescent lights. Yeah. How close are the lights to the top of the seedling? Pretty close. Like three inches, four inches? Yeah, three or four inches. You're right. You're good on that. But it's almost time now, Wendy, to start thinking, how can I bring them outside and get them used to being in more sunshine, which is your eventual goal, I guess, is to put them outside in the garden, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Okay. 
So I mean, if the lows in the 40s and 50s for the next couple of days and not much prediction, I don't think of any cold weather coming. This is about the time to take your little seedlings outside and put it in a place outside that gets no direct sun, but bright, bright sort of reflected sunshine from buildings and the grass and the trees and things around. And again, my perfect place is under the umbrella on my patio because shaded all day long. I put the uh, seedlings underneath that. They harden off and grow a little bit further because more sunshine, more light outside than ever you can supply with your with your grow lights. So um, I put them outside until they're at least doubled in size, so about four inches high, and then it's time to plant. Um, can I ask you a question about watering sure. them, though? Yeah. I, I think that I'm either overwatering them or not watering them enough, okay. and I can't seem to find the balance. What are the symptoms? What, what makes you suspect that? Just because I can't get them to live. So I try to, I'm trying to water them to where they're just moist. Mm-hmm. You're and right. I've even, I've even used right. a spray bottle. Yeah, I would try not to use a spray bottle because I guess on the leaves and you know you make it a nice moist environment on the leaves and you give it diseases that might be floating around a chance to grow on the leaf, which is not what you want. So you can take a little bitty squirter, I call it a squirter, and squirt it at the base of the seedlings rather than on the leaves. Right, that's what I've been doing though. Okay. Oh, right, good for you. Yeah. So. So. We, need, we know they need some light pretty soon after they make the true leaves, and you're getting to true leaf stage, it sounds like, pretty easily now. I think it's that transition from indoors under the lights to outdoors underneath the umbrella or underneath a little tree or something like that is your next step. And you've got seedlings now, is that right? I only have 15 seconds or so. Let's yes, go quick. yes, I only have seedlings, just like two inches. Two inches high. I think it's time to take them outside. Wendy, okay. I, even though it's in the 40s, I think that's warm enough. Mid-40s is warm enough to take them outside and let them be outside again, getting some bright shade shade sun from trees, reflected sun, things like that. I think okay. that's what they All need right. at this point. And hopefully, hopefully, they will go a little bit further than two inches, and hopefully Wendy will have some vegetables that she can, vegetable plants anyway, that she can plant outside of her garden. Wendy, good luck with it. If it doesn't work, call me next Saturday. I'd love to talk to you more. We'll find out what's going on exactly. 404-872-0750 is the number on Lawn and Garden. We'll be back after news.